0: Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And guess what? It's chilly outside, folks. I've been doing a lot of outdoor recording, and I got layers on. And it's chilly inside, too. It's like that here in the happy Northeast in January. We're in January already. Happy New Year's. And we're talking about a mystery. And the mystery is how do you work on your relationship, right? I mean, all the time we're told you need to be working on your relationship. You need to be progressing your relationship forward. Well, how do you do that exactly? And we're given all kinds of tips on how to have a good relationship and what a good relationship looks like. But it seems like nobody's given us the definitive text on how to continuously advance your partnership. So this is the first step into creating the definitive text on how to grow your relationship. And we're gonna tackle it from three perspectives. The first is in order to engage in anything, we need to have our own battery charged first. We need to be working on ourselves. So we need to be working on our emotional intelligence right because emotional intelligence is the basis for strong relationship so that's number one number two we need to be working on our communication skills right guess what two out of three of these things have to do with us like polishing sharpening our own blade polishing our own practices So we want to work on our own communication skills, and that's where we cross the line and we start working with the other person. And then step three is creating agreement. And there might even be a fourth step. If I took step three, I could probably say there's a fourth step, which is moving forward on that agreement. But I'm kind of incorporating that into step three. I'm just going to assume that in a strong partnership, when you create agreement, there is forward motion. Okay, so... Let's talk about number one, EQ. What is EQ? And so we've all heard about emotional intelligence, but what is it really? Emotional intelligence starts with self-awareness. And the reason for that is that we can't assess what's happening with other people until we understand what's happening within us. And in a relationship, where the riskiest things happen are in the world of our own triggers and the triggers of our partner. But right now we're talking about our own triggers. We need to be aware of and understand what triggers us. And the crazy thing is the longer that you're married, the easier it is to lose sight of your triggers somehow, or your partner's triggers. Like it just becomes normal that that button that you push that makes them go Wah! from zero to 60 is there. And you just kind of do it unconsciously and vice versa. You know, every now and then it's like a jack in the box. You're just don't do And they push a button, and you go boop, boom. They just go all crazy on them. So being aware of those triggers, of your triggers and theirs, but first yours is really central. How do you become aware of triggers? Uh, we've already explained to you that a trigger is that thing that makes you go from zero to 60. A trigger or a button or an emotional hotspot is something that is installed in our childhood. And the easiest way to define this would be it's a reaction or a behavior that worked for us in a defensive mode when we were younger that today is just destructive. So it might be that Uh, In a family, you might have grown up in a very critical family and that the fastest way to deflect criticism is to attack the other person. If you feel like they're being critical of you, you could just go right to, well, let's talk about your nose. You know, your nose is kind of long. Yeah, right. And, And you basically, the best defense is a good offense might be a kind of trigger. And so that might have worked really well if you had a very critical parent and you needed to push that off so that you weren't receiving constant criticism. But how well is it working for you in your marriage? Not so much. Because sometimes we're hearing criticism, but it isn't actually criticism that's coming across. And the problem with most of our triggers is they're built around sensitive emotional areas for us. And when someone's sensitive, something can feel much more painful than it is. It's kind of like You get a splinter, but you never pull it out, and the skin heals over it, and it gets kind of pussy. And every time you touch the skin, even near that splinter, you feel it because it's sensitive. Uh, And so someone could touch the skin near the splinter, and you'd say, don't touch my splinter. And they'd say, I'm not touching your splinter. You get it? So it can feel like the splinter is being touched, even when it's not actually being touched. A lot of our triggers are like that also. All right. We want to identify those splinters and clean out that pus. And the good news is when we do that, we're less likely to go from zero to 60. But the bad news is that because this is emotional stuff and it's deep and it's old, it may not happen quickly. And we may have some sensitivity forever. But uh, there's a story a coach once told me that has always stuck with me. And the story goes like this. You know, you're walking down the street and um, you're looking at your phone and all of a sudden you fall into a hole and you're in there in the hole and you're going, how do I get out? Oh my God, how did I end up in here? And then you see a way and you climb out of the hole, you brush yourself off and you go, you know, looking at my phone and walking down the street wasn't very helpful. I think I'm going to put that away. All right. And so the next day you go down the same street and you're just kind of looking around and you got right up on that hole. You go, whoa, I almost fell in that hole again. And so you kind of tiptoe around it, get past, and then you just keep going on your way. Right. And you go, man, I'm really glad I missed that hole. The next day you go down the street and you're walking down the street. And you remember there's a hole. In fact, you see it coming and you think, oh, I'm across the street. Get on the other side of the street. You go down, pass the hole. Maybe you go back to that side of the street and keep going your way. Look at that. Look at how smart I am. I got around that hole. And the next day you get up and you go, you know, every time I walk down Smith Street, There's this damn hole that I'm avoiding. What if I go down Jones Street instead and you go down a completely different street? And that's kind of how it is with our triggers. It takes a while. You know, at first we fall into it by accident. The next time we almost fall into it, or we might even fall into it again. It might happen two or three times before we realize that there's a hole there. But once we're aware of it, every time we get a little further from it until one day we are just avoiding the street that that whole is on altogether that trigger is on altogether. That's that's kind of what trigger identification and management about. It's a slow process. And why is it slow? It's because it's not just a feeling. Or a better way to put it is our feelings impact our bodies, or in this case our brain. Our brain is a part of our body. It's not just something our mind uses, but it's a biological unit. And there's a neurological pathway that, that, trigger, that represents that trigger. And you've gone down that neurological pathway so many times that it feels natural. It's a very well-trodden path. And when you decide that you're not going to do that anymore, first you identify the emotion, the pathway, and it's hard because it's a natural ingrained response for you. You start to create a new neural network, and it takes time for our brain, for our neural network to adjust. It's not just that we're going to change our behavior. It's not just that we're going to change our feelings. We're actually changing our brain, our neural network in the process, and that's why this is so challenging. Well, that was a lot on trigger management. All right knowing that we have triggers we also want to understand what our partners triggers we want to have empathy for them we know what family they grew up in we knew we know what pushes their buttons we know why they are the way they are and maybe if we don't maybe we want to explore it with them you know if we have a partner let's put the shoe on the other foot if we have a partner who's particularly sensitive to criticism maybe we want to explore with them you know, why are you so sensitive to criticism? They might say, you met my parents, ha, ha, ha. You know? But it's worth exploring and understanding how and why criticism shows up for them in all the ways that the subtle and not so subtle ways. I'm, I'm sort of hammering criticism here, but there are other triggers besides criticism, but that's a pretty common one. Um, so you wanna understand the backdrop there. Number one, you wanna understand what is the hole that they fall into. Number two, you understand how did it get created? And number three, you want to start to understand the things that you do that feel like whatever that is, that experience is, that they're trying to avoid. So you may something, say something in a way that you feel is very supportive, but they hear it as critical because just like that splinter, they're very sensitive around certain areas. So there might be certain topics that they're very sensitive about for example. So your your job is, number one, self-knowledge. Number two, knowledge of the other and empathy of the other. Uh, And maybe even it's about developing compassion. You might even want to help them with it. And they might want to help you with it. But we're kind of getting into uh, the communication piece there. So the third part of working on your EQ is learning how to not only how to avoid destructive conflict which is what triggers bring up but what is constructive conflict how do you engage in constructive conflicts what are the situations that you can think of where you've been in a disagreement let's call it because that word conflict tends to bring up the idea of fighting and warfare where is it that you've been in disagreement and worked it through with people and how, and what were the tools that you used and how did it work and why did it work? You know, what was effective, what was not effective? So that's a way that you can start to understand how do you navigate disagreement or conflict effectively without getting into destructive conflict, All right? So that's the basics of EQ. The basics of EQ is understanding yourself, understand the other, and uh, what are the tools that you have for being empathetic, compassionate, and for resolution, right? Basics of EQ. And you're, by the way, this is like a never ending mission. It's like Star Trek here. You can see there's Star Trek in the back there. Those are Star Trek uh, collector series, Pez dispensers. It's a never ending mission to explore new, go new places and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and you, you know, The cool thing about Star Trek is they were always attempting to respect um, other people's cultures. So they they had all these prime directives about how they could behave and what they could do. This is kind of where we are. We want to respect our partner's culture. We don't want to intervene in it. We want to help them to progress. We don't want to um, impose our own systems on them. All right. Two, communication. We've kind of dribbled into it. The basis of strong communication is first, believe it or not, can you hear your partner? Can you hear what they're really saying? You may think you're hearing them, but the chances are you don't. Because we all view one another through our own set of lenses. We have our own lenses. We see the world. And so an exercise that I give people often in couples work is reflective listening, uh, which is where you listen for one fact and one feeling that the other person is expressing and you say it back to them. And if they say, no, that wasn't it, then you ask them to explain it again and listen for one fact and one feeling and you reflect it back to them. So they say, yes, bam, you got it. That's exactly it. Reflective listening is a way to tune your own ears into what the other person is saying and to really get it so that you can say it to them with different words than they use in a way that tells them that you understood. Hugely, hugely important. Anytime you have a a misunderstanding or you accidentally trigger your partner, reflective listening is the tool to disengage yourself at the very least and possibly them as well from being triggered. Next, now that you've made sure that they feel heard, the next part is for you to effectively communicate your own needs. You know, uh, uh, in relationships, we often assume especially when we've been in a relationship for some time, that our partner already knows our needs. Like, what the hell? We've been married for 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. How do you not know my needs? Well, the fact is that we are constantly evolving and changing as human beings. And so our needs are constantly evolving and changing as well. Or sometimes our needs find different vehicles of expression. And so it's important to talk about those needs with them. Um, And how you talk about it, working on your communication is also about communicating responsibly. Do you communicate your needs as, you never give me what I want? (laughs) Or are you committing your need as, I feel so sad because I want to have intimacy with you when we're alone together. Can we talk about this? You hear the difference, right? One is sort of whiny and blaming and the other is responsible. I have a feeling when this happens, or excuse me, because of this, when this happens, you're basically explaining <clears throat> how your feelings are being triggered by the situation instead of assigning blame to the other person. And you're also empowering yourself in the process. We've talked a lot about this on the Richard Relationship podcast. So if you've, if this is, not new to you. I apologize. If it is, really take it in because communicating your feelings effectively and from a place of responsibility, personal responsibility is huge. It's also a part of emotional intelligence. Um, And last but not least, of course, we want to communicate our triggers to our partner. And I can't tell you, you'd be amazed at how even after years, people forget about what our histories are, and our triggers are, you may need to re-explain your history and your trigger to your partner after a few years. Maybe they've forgotten. You may need to remind them. We all need a refresher course on what makes one another tick. But communicating your own triggers to them and calling forth their empathy, empathy is a big piece in communication. All right. Last part is coming to agreement. Coming to agreement involves, how do I put this? Presumably, in the course of practicing our listening skills and communicating our needs, we've gotten under a position we might have taken. So a position that we take is usually when we're fearful or angry, we'll take a position. Right? We're ready. Or it might be a defensive position, it could be an aggressive position, but we're ready. What's underneath the position? What's underneath the stance that you're taking? It is usually a fear, a concern, uh, your values are being threatened in some way, you, is usually at the heart of it. And so, come to agreement means getting clear on what's underneath each other's stance and position. It means getting clear on values. Uh, It means referring to shared goals, or if your goals have shifting and changing for some reason, communicating that and why. It means coming up with a plan of action once you have unity of purpose and goal and values. And this is why I said maybe there's a step four. There's a, like taking action. So maybe step four would be taking action, but I think action comes out of agreement. we when, when in our agreement in our relationship, we can take action individually and together. When we're in agreement in our relationship, we can hold one another accountable in a way that's gentle and caring and loving and not necessarily vindictive. When we're in agreement, we're, we're of one mind, of accord, we can move forward as a team. When we're in agreement, you know, we, are, we can actively work on our lives together. And this is kind of like, I'd love to tell you, this is a one-shot deal, working on your EQ, working on your communication, coming to agreement. Oh, yeah, you do that. And your relationship is perfect. Bingo, bango, bonzo, boingo. No, no. It's like peeling an onion. You're doing this continuously working. This is the heart of working on your relationship. It, it, It is an ongoing process. And how you do that is up to you. It might be that at the end of each day, you take a look at how was I in my relationship today? And you have a conversation about it. It might be that once a week, you know, when you go out to date night, you have a conversation about how are we doing with our relationship? How do we do this week? How do we do with, uh, you know, how emotionally present was I? If, I mean, if your EQ is really active and high, you're emotionally present. If your communication is strong, you're, they get that you're present. Um, You know, how did we do keeping our agreements and moving forward on this? How are we doing as a couple? How are we doing as individuals as a couple? And how can we continue to do this? Maybe it's something you look at once a month, or maybe it just comes up on an as needed basis. But the difference is going to be here, if you're working on your relationship, you're being proactive. If you're waiting for it to come up, you're being reactive. So, somehow you want to engage in a regular process of communication and um, polishing your EQ and monitoring your agreements and changing them as you move forward, adjusting them as you move forward. Okay, that is pretty much all I have for you on this, except for this. If your relationship is in a state where you just can't seem to have the conversation without being triggered, you may need some help. Or if your relationship is in a state where you feel like you're communicating your triggers and managing your triggers, but they're not, your relationship may need some help. Or If you feel like no matter what happens, you're feeling triggered all the time, again, you and your relationship may need some help. Don't keep trying to work this out on your own. If it just isn't working, it just isn't working. We all grow and improve through our network of support, through the friends that we have, the spiritual advisors that we have, the professionals that we bring into our lives. Reach out to your network of support. If it's not adequate, expand it. If it's not adequate, tap someone that you think understands you and who knows, excuse me, what's going on. I think that's all I have for you today. Uh, As always, if you want to direct message me, feel free, or you can email me. Uh, rich at richinrelationship.com, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. Or you can even schedule a quick confidential call at no charge with me. Uh, Go to bit.ly forward slash end the fight, all one word, bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash end the fight the fight, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. And we can talk about what's going on. Uh, No commitment on your part. You're guaranteed next steps, whatever you choose them to be. It's not a sales call. It's really just a one-to-one meeting where two people get to explore what's happening and see what next steps could be. Thank you for your time and have a wonderful tomorrow.